appreciate the Lord's goodness, how he's met with us and helped us. And uh, he don't have to, but I sure am glad he does. I'd be in a mess if he didn't. So would you. Matthew chapter number five this evening. I want to, uh, I want to continue on. Uh, we will, Lord willing, next Sunday morning as well. Then, Lord willing, next Sunday night as well. We won't have Sunday school Sunday night. We'll have the Lord's Supper. And so it's the first Sunday night. We're doing that this year, first Sunday night of the month. And uh, so I'll probably be preaching. And uh, if so, Lord willing, unless he changes it, I'll be uh, in Matthew 5 uh, for some time, and chapter 6 for some time, chapter 7, these three chapters uh, in the book of Matthew dealing with the Sermon uh, on the Mount. Uh, I, I, last Sunday morning, if you were here, uh, last Sunday morning I preached, the Lord helped us uh, on an introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. It's a new day. Uh, we see a new day. Aren't you glad? Thank God for a new day. When Jesus walked in. We saw a new dilemma. Uh, man is still messed up apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And you are as well, by the way. You are as well. And then we saw a new deliverer. Unlike all of the Old Testament deliverers who tried but could not maybe uh, bring Israel uh, into a place or God's people into a place of permanence. Uh, but there's a new deliverer on the scene. And what Jesus does is once and for all. What Jesus does is final. And uh, when he saves, he saves to the uttermost. You don't have to get saved again. Don't have to be born again, 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 again. Don't have to confess for salvation again and again. But by one offering, uh, Hebrews said, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. The Lord did it with one offering, the offering of, him, of his self, the offering of his son on the cross of Calvary. He did it once and for all. And when you come to the Lord, you do that once. You come by faith, believe in him, he'll save you once. Now after you get saved, you'll need to come to God many times. I've come to Calvary many times and told the Lord how wretched I was. I've come to Jesus many times and told him how needful I still am. But what I needed at that point was strength. What I needed at that point was help. What I needed at that point was cleansing. But what I needed, uh, as far as my eternal soul goes, I got one time when I came to the cross and asked God to save me a sinner. He did it, he did it once, he did it for all, never need to be done again. Bless his holy name for that tonight. Let's stand as we read the word of God Tonight we're going to uh, get into uh, the text a little bit more, uh, probably just one verse, verse 3. Uh, I would say to you tonight, verse 3 is the foundation of the next several verses, at least going up to verse 12, uh, but maybe the entirety of the sermon uh, on the mount could really rest upon uh, verse number 3, uh, and, and I'll show you that. Uh, Lord willing, in a little bit, I'll try to uh, just uh, uh, systematically go through this text. I want you to get it. Uh, I want us to get it as a church. I believe tonight that there are truths in this sermon uh, 
that will put a lost man under conviction so good he'll run to God and get saved. I believe there are truths in this sermon that will put a saved man under conviction so good he'll run to God and get things right in his life. One of the most, uh, one of the most blessed texts in all the New Testament, uh, chapter five, six, and seven of Matthew's gospel. Let's read the uh, first verse. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We'll read down to verse 12. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Remember, these are the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. We'll stop reading there. Got a lot of reading to do as we preach through this. I would encourage you. Let me give you some homework tonight. Between now and Sunday, at least read uh, uh, each chapter once, chapter six, seven, and eight, at least once. Wouldn't hurt you to read it twice or three or four times, maybe once a day. Uh, each chapter is three chapters. Read it once a day. You'll be familiar with it, at least more than maybe you are now by Sunday. We'll preach it again, uh, Lord willing, on Sunday. Let's pray. Lord, would you help us now in the preaching of the Word of God? I, I need your help. Uh, Lord, I, I, I do. I can't do this without you. Lord, I need help tonight. I pray God you'd give that. I pray God tonight you'd help me, Lord. I pray you'd speak to your people. Lord, recall to my memory the things that I've studied. Lord, I pray, please, God, give us discernment. I pray, God, there's things in here, Lord, that I've not seen. But I pray, God, while I'm preaching, that the Holy Ghost would reveal them to our hearts, and that we'd see them, Lord, truths that we've never seen before. Lord, what a blessed book it is. What a blessed book tonight, God, that while a man's reading or while a man's preaching, he can see something that he's never seen before. God, thank you. It's an eternal word. I love it. I love you for it. In Christ's name, amen. You can be seated this morning. Uh, I, I, if, if last Sunday uh, I preached uh, on the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, uh, and I outlined the text for you, uh, verse number one and two uh, gives us an introduction. We find out where he's at. We find out who's preaching. We find out what's going on uh, in the text. Uh, from this point on, all the red letter words uh, are Jesus' words. They are his sermon that he literally spoke to a group of people. Uh, in uh, Luke's gospel, uh, he is, uh, uh, it, it gives a short account of this uh, text and the Bible said that the multitude was there as well and in, in verse number uh, one and two, it seems to be a distinction of the multitude and the disciples. Here's what I, 
uh, have come to conclude, and I could be wrong, uh, you go study it for yourself, uh, but I believe tonight that Jesus uh, probably uh, went up into the mountain a little ways from the disciple or from the multitude. The disciples followed him, uh, and he began to teach. Uh, uh, primarily, I would say to the uh, to the disciples, but in hearing of the multitude, uh, uh, and they heard as well, uh, probably what Jesus had to say uh, at the end of chapter seven and the beginning of chapter number eight, it alludes to the fact that no doubt probably uh, they, I, I don't know if that word, no doubt probably, uh, no doubt, no doubt at all probably, uh, leaves a little room for doubt, uh, but that more than likely they were in the hearing of the Lord Jesus' great sermon uh, on the mount. Uh, that would lead me to believe that two things happen uh, in this text, this you remember 15 minutes of preaching uh, as uh, I uh, read it, not to you, but at home in my best preacher's voice with all the pauses and emphasis added, uh, about 15 minutes it took me to go through it, that, that there were two things that happened uh, in Matthew chapter five, six, and seven as Jesus preached. Number one, there would be an indictment that happened, an indictment that was made. Uh, that's no strange word in today's society. How many of you hear all day long about indictment, indictment, indictment? Well, it didn't come to get political tonight, uh, but they ain't gonna quit until they lock him up, are they? Uh, they're not gonna quit. Uh, but let's get back. There, there is an indictment that takes place. Not only that, but there is instruction that takes place. Uh, I guess it would depend on what crowd uh, that you're in. And I want you to consider that as you read uh, Matthew chapter five, six, and seven, that both of these things are going on at the same time. If you are a part of the crowd, if you are a part of the multitude, uh, as Jesus begins to preach, the truth of the matter is, is what he is preaching is impossible for an unregenerated man to attain to all of these laws. Uh, I, I showed you last week uh, that the law, Jesus quotes the law many times in Matthew's gospel, and he said, now you have heard it has been said. Uh, somebody said, why didn't he just quote the Bible and say, uh, thus saith the scripture, or it is written like he does so many times in the word of God, because most of that crowd didn't know what was written. Uh, they knew what they heard had been said was written. Uh, I, I, I studied uh, and found out that most of them followed the Talmud. Uh, that, was, uh, that was a group of writings about the Bible uh, that watered down what the Bible said and made it uh, fit into the life of them and said, well, here's what the Bible said, but here's what we think about the word of God. And kind of like today, people think whatever they want about the Bible and they think that it's a fluid book that's ever moving and changing. Now, I want to tell you tonight, the word of God said, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. It's not what you think about God's word. It's not how you feel about God's word, but it is what the word of God says that is important in your life. Uh, and so Jesus answers them and said, well, thou hast heard it has been said. 
Uh, because what they knew about the Bible, most of them, what they knew about the word of God, what they knew about the law, what they knew about the old covenant and the old testament was what some teacher had taught them, uh, but not what was written and what was said uh, in the word of God. And so the Lord Jesus gives them the law, he gives them what they had heard, uh, and he says this to them, but I say unto you, Jesus, uh, his requirements for the kingdom of God uh, are even weightier and heavier than the Old Testament law. If man couldn't keep the Old Testament law, and by the way, I'll need a good amen right here, they couldn't and they still can't. Somebody help me right there. There's religions all across the world built on the fact of keeping a law, keeping this law and that law and this law and that law. Uh, 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 and man hasn't been able to, uh, there's no one ever been able to but one, uh, and he's the one standing in front of them. He's the only hope you've got for salvation tonight. And if he's not what you put your hope in, you are hopeless and helpless without God tonight in this world. They, they, uh, uh, could not keep the law. And Jesus goes a step further and says not only is it uh, right actions that must be required uh, to enter into God's kingdom, uh, to enter into God's righteousness, but now he deals with the attitude of man and the heart of man. Not only are you to do right, but you're to do right for the right reason. And uh, you can twist people's arms and get them to do right sometimes. You can threaten them and, and uh, you, you can scare them into doing right. Sometimes kids get scared into doing right. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's a good thing. I think, I think it's a good thing for young people to be scared to do wrong. But somewhere along the line, and, and I don't think it's a bad thing for adults to be scared to do wrong. There's some things that scare me and I don't want any part of them tonight. But Jesus' teaching shows that if it's in your heart, you're guilty of it, whether you've ever done it with your hands. If it's in your heart, you're guilty of it. If you've never done it with your eyes or your feet or your mouth or your ears, then it is a matter of the heart. As Jesus preaches this crowd, this multitude, it is an indictment. I want to say to you tonight, whether people come to church and they walk away saved or not, uh, that's not the business of the preacher. That's not even really the business of the church, uh, though we want people to be saved. Uh, uh, but what the business is, uh, is to tell the message. What the business is, where you work, is to tell the message. Uh, and what they do with that indictment is between them uh, and the Holy Ghost of God. Jesus uh, did not have a swarm of converts when he got done preaching, but I tell you what he did have, he had some convicts who were convicted in the words that he said. Uh, does anybody remember the day or the days or the weeks or maybe even months of conviction in your life when the word of God was indicting you, uh, the word of God was convicting you, somebody had given you a track, somebody had preached to you, somebody had invited you to church, somebody had given you a Bible and you begin to read and you begin to uh, uh, hear the word of God and there would be one verse or one line or one word or, or, or one statement and I mean you couldn't shake it and it was convicting you. Does anybody know what I'm talking about at all tonight? I promise you one thing, when this crowd left, 
they were indicted. When this crowd left, the words of Jesus had pierced their soul. If he's right, I'm wrong and I'm in trouble. Not only is this message a message of indictment, but it is a message of instruction. To the lost man, there's no way he could ever do any of these things. But there's also some disciples who are sitting in this crowd. And here's what I believe tonight. I believe God saved them when they put their faith in him and followed him. I believe when Jesus walked over to the seashore and said, y'all been fishing all your life. I've come and you know who I am. And if you'll follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And I believe when they packed up their little nets and they closed down shop and they went with Jesus, that's faith. And anybody who ever put faith in Jesus got saved. You say, well, that was before Calvary. What are you gonna do with Abraham? Abraham before the law and before circumcision. The Bible said Abraham believed God, Romans chapter four, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. You know what? the Bible said Abraham put his faith in God and God saved Abraham I believe when Jesus come by uh, that little seashore where them where them uh, fishermen were fishing uh, them men who would later become disciples I believe Jesus looked at them he said hey Peter uh, would you follow me Uh, Simon Peter said God I'll go with you packed up his bags and went I believe Simon Peter got saved I believe when he come to Andrew Andrew follow me and Andrew said where are we going he said don't matter just follow me and Andrew by faith followed Jesus I believe he got saved And there's a crowd here tonight in this text and they don't know the Lord. They're not saved. As Jesus preaches, it is an indictment on them. Now they are guilty because they've heard the word of truth. But there's another crowd in this text tonight and they're a part of what would be the church and they have heard the word of God. They know the truth. They've stepped out by faith and Jesus is teaching them how to live in this present evil world like a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Every message we hear tonight on the other side of Calvary is not an indictment to us. Oh, y'all can talk back to me this evening a little bit. Are y'all all all right? Every message we hear on the other side of Calvary, you you can preach on sinner and getting saved. That don't indict me, but it does instruct me. You can preach on how to walk uh, uh, in the the will of God uh, uh, tonight. Uh, I'm not indicted by the fact that I'm not saved, uh, but I can be instructed by the message that's being preached. I can be convicted by my lack of, of participation in the message that's being preached. That was the two developments going on at the same time. In the same crowd there are those who are indicted and in the same crowd those who are instructed. And right here tonight at Crossroads Baptist Church while your preacher's preaching last Sunday morning, next Sunday morning, next Sunday night there'll be folks and when the preaching takes place there's an indictment. God has given them the truth and they'll decide yes or no. But thank God at the same time there's some instruction down at the house of God. Tell me how to live for God. Tell me how to serve God. Tell me how to raise my family in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Aren't you glad it's not always indictment anymore? But aren't you glad, thank God, there's some instruction in your life. God didn't just indict you, hang you out over hell so he could save you, but now he wants you to live according to the truth. This is not a prerequisite for salvation. This is a product of salvation, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. 
There's nothing in here, there's no gospel preached. There's nothing in here that Jesus says, you do this, 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 and this, and this will save you. He just says, if you're in my, if you're gonna get into my kingdom, you're gonna either do these things, and if you don't do these things, you're not getting in. And what that does is makes everybody guilty because no one can fulfill all of that. Not even the best of you in here tonight. So the indictment and the instruction, I want you to remember that as we preach through these texts, that both of these are happening at the same time. Um, Let's see, I I, want to hurry, I don't want to keep you all night um, trying to to think tonight about what direction that I want to go in the message. Uh, It is important to note that Jesus is describing uh, the very nature of righteousness. Uh, I would not say that Jesus is describing God in his entirety, but the description that God is giving is, or that Jesus is giving is the nature of God. How blasphemous tonight is religion that says that I can perform up to the nature of God himself. And yet our generation and generation before us, generations after us, Generations all around us tonight have that mentality. Well, I'm good. I'm good. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Based upon what? Brother Seth said when he was testifying a minute ago that the bulbs went out in the house and he didn't realize how dark it was until he put some new bulbs in the house and realized I can see the cobwebs in the corner. I can see uh, the dust mites on the wall. I can see things that I couldn't see before. That's because light come into the world. Light shined in darkness. Uh, light uh, revealed the darkness or, or dispelled the darkness that was in your life. And, and what we need tonight is to realize that there's none good, no, not one. There's none righteous, no, not one. Uh, our righteousness, Isaiah said, is as filthy rags. Uh, uh, that's the very uh, lowest of the low, the very scum of the scum. He said the best you can come up with is the very worst of that there is. The best you've got is the scum and the filthy rags that cleanse it. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And if there's anyone in the attendance, if there's anyone in the multitude, if there's anyone in Jesus' crowd, by the time he gets done preaching, he has done what Paul did in Romans chapter one. He has made the whole world guilty before God. You say, preacher, I'm not interested in being guilty. Then you'll never be born again. I'm not interested in being a sinner. Then you'll never be a saint because everybody in here tonight that's saved was first a sinner. And you're say because you realize you were a sinner and come to God for mercy. That's how a man gets saved. That's why it's hard for us to tout our successes and our accomplishments and to brag on us. That's why it grieves the spirit of God. Anytime anybody in the church does take off on a bragging on them spell, whether in conversation or testimony or, 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 or preaching or whatever it is, anytime we brag on us, it grieves the spirit of God because we're all made from the same lump. We was all going to the same hell. We were all deserving of the same hell and the only thing we have is the righteous of Christ imputed in us by the Holy Ghost of God when he saved us. That's it. God's not impressed with all of our works. 
Uh, Romans said, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. And so my question tonight as we, as we, as we look into this uh, beatitudes, this uh, instructive and indicting part of the Lord's message, my question is, is if no one can do what he's preaching, then what's the purpose of it? Why preach a message to people that they can't perform? It's a good question and a simple answer. To make you aware of the fact that you can't perform it. God gave us the whole Old Testament, 39 books to show me and you and the rest of this world that there is none righteous, no, not one. For all of sin comes short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death and that you are in desperate need tonight. You are in desperation tonight. You are helpless tonight. You are hopeless tonight. You are without God, a sinner on your way to hell. Whether you admit it, whether you believe it, whether you receive it tonight, it is the truth nonetheless. And you need to know that so you can be saved. But it's not just so you can be saved, but those of us who have been saved need to be reminded, had it not been for grace, I I come from a mess. Had it not been for grace, I'd still be in a mess tonight. Are you hearing me? Um, and so Jesus gives this two-fold message, indictment, instruction. Uh, it's a message of indictment to the multitude, and here's what it is. One cannot behave like Christ until he becomes like Christ. One cannot become like Christ until he believes like Christ. I want to say that to you again. To the multitude, the indictment is this. You can't behave like Christ until you become like Christ. Is it that the opposite of religion today? You want to enter into heaven? You want to enter into the goodness of God? Then become like or, or behave like Christ. Here's what Christ did, follow his example. And men set out on their journey to follow Jesus' example. And what they find out, if they're honest, is I can't act like Christ. I can't be like Christ. They try to dress up in religion. They try to act out in religion. They try to join a club or join a movement or join a church or, or join in the baptismal pool. Whatever it may be, they're trying to behave like Christ. But you can't behave like Christ until Christ is living in you. And Christ is not living in you until you believe on Christ and trust him as your, I know this is elementary but we're going to have to deal with this if we're going to and I want you to see this truth of the Sermon on the Mount. I still feel like Wednesday night I bored you. I feel like, and, and that was me, that was on me. I feel like tonight half of you, I've, I've pulled you back over into boredom again. And I'm gonna plow through tonight. And I'll be done in a minute. Are y'all good? I can't preach longer than you can uh, exercise your ability to comprehend. If I lose you, then what good is it me preaching? I want you to get it. Uh, the indictment and the instruction. Uh, let, let me, let me, uh, let's move on to the, or, or let me give you this as, as, before we do. It's a message of indictment to the multitude. One cannot behave like Christ until it becomes like Christ. One cannot become like Christ until it believes in Christ. But secondly, it is a message of instruction to the disciples. Here's what it is. 
for without me you can do nothing. If you're lost, it's an indictment. Message of the Sermon on Man, any Bible preaching message. It's an indictment. You can't behave like Christ until you become like Christ. If you're saved tonight, the Sermon on the Mount is instructive and it is, for without me ye can do nothing. There's a whole lot of saved folks, including the one you're looking at, need to be reminded of that on a daily basis. We are headstrong, self-willed, determined. We are proud of ourselves. We are boasters of ourselves. We are too proud, most of us, to kneel on an altar. We're too proud to lift our hands in praise. It, it ain't about your shyness. It's about your pride. Well, I'm too shy to do this. I'm too. Most of that's not the truth tonight. Most of it is our pride. We are proud. It is our pride. And what Jesus' sermon is, all them proud disciples, he's preaching to the multitude, and, and, and they need to be saved, but he's looking at the disciples, and he wants them to know, you can't do this without me. Without me, you can do nothing. And it's going to take them a long time to figure it out. Young preachers entertained me. I was one. I don't think I am no more. I used to have, I still have some of it in me probably, but I don't know if you could call a 37-year-old man who's been preaching for 20 years over a young preacher, maybe a middle-aged preacher. Um, young preachers entertained me. Uh, you, you ain't ever run into a more proud bunch in all your life. And you let God ever put his hand on them one time and they're like Samson. They think they can tear the wall down and build it back again. They, 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 somebody said one time they can charge hell with a water gun. I mean, they, they uh, young Christians. Uh, you know, you, you ever notice the difference of, of folks who've been saved a little while? Now, some folks get saved so long they just get plumb complacent. Uh, other folks that you can tell the difference in young Christians and they're starting out with all the zeal and all the fire but then all the silliness and all the foolishness as well that, that you, you, and, 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 and that's fine people grow out of that stuff the devil knocks that stuff out of you the world knocks that stuff out of you life knocks that stuff out of you but, but thank God for people with a zeal but along with that comes a great arrogancy that this is what I believe how come you don't believe what I believe? huh? Y'all ain't talking to me tonight. This is, this is what I think is true and because I believe it's true and everybody ought to. And really the truth is most of us don't even understand the questions, let alone the answers. You let somebody live a little while and you ask any 19-year-old that got saved last year, what do you believe about this? And if they've studied or heard somebody who did, they'll tell you definitely, this is what I believe about it and I think you should too. And if you don't agree with me, I'm pretty sure you're not saved and if you are saved, you need to get right with God. But you ask that same question to someone 20 years later, what do you believe about that? Well, you know, I don't really know. I've been scratching my head over that one for a while. Not so. Now there's some things that God is emphatic about. We ought to be emphatic about. It is an 
and instruction. This whole, man, I want you to read it, chapter 6, or 5, 6, and 7. It is instruction to the child of God. It is instruction to the disciple. This is what righteousness looks like. This is what you're supposed to be esteeming to be or running towards. I'm afraid we've missed out on a lot of that Christian character stuff in our teaching and training and preaching because we don't want to offend nobody. But I need to be offended. Let's, let's look at the first one quickly. The Beatitudes. Uh, there's nine of them. Chapter number five, verse one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If we're just studying, you can write this down. It's 8.22. I'll be done in about 8, 9, 10 minutes. Uh, if we're just studying, you can write this down tonight. There's nine Beatitudes, um, and out of them there are three major principles that you find in each of the nine Beatitudes. Three major principles. Number one, I'll give them to you and I'll go back and preach them. Number one, each... Uh, beatitude, each are a paradox. Number one, each are a paradox. Uh, that means something perceived to be absurd and opposite of popular opinion, but true. A paradox is something that when you hear it, it's completely opposite of anything you've ever heard, but it's true. Each one of these beatitudes are a paradox. Each one. It's opposite of fleshly belief, it's opposite of worldly opinion, it's opposite of anything they're going to teach you in any social class or any, uh, any self-help promoting class and opposite of what most churches are preaching uh, in the wealth, health, prosperity movement of our day that if you really want to, if you really want to be blessed, man, you've got to go get it. You've got to go after life, got to grab life by the horns, learn how to be a leader, be the best leader that you can be. And, and I'm not against leadership, but when I find leadership in the Word of God, at least in that term, most the Bible says about leaders that they are leading uh, 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 silly women captive. Uh, they are leaders uh, trying to lead uh, men, trying to lead women into sin. Be careful who your leaders are that you're following. Be careful about your leadership qualities. I, I'm not against leaders. Don't misunderstand me. I, I want to be a good leader. I believe you ought to aspire to that. But it ain't about me being a great leader. It's about me being a Christian. It ain't about me being on top. But it's about me living the life that God wants me to live. Matter of fact, you'll not be a good leader anyways until you can be a good follower. There's a lot of self-proclaimed leaders with no one following them. Facebook followers don't count. Each are a paradox. Uh, the teaching of the Beatitudes completely conflict with the accepted teaching of this world and natural man living in it. Not only are each a paradox, but each of the Beatitudes are progressive. Uh, the first one leads to the next, and then so on. Uh, the first, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, foundation of all that will come afterwards. You get that one wrong, then the next won't fit. Um, each are progressive. 
we'll look at them and that'll make sense, but I want you to get that. Each are progressive. Not only are, are each a paradox, each are progressive, but each are productive. The Bible tells us, Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, if you do this, blessed are, and here's the outcome. If you do this, blessed are, and here is the outcome. Each one of these beatitudes, each one of these Christian characteristics, each one of these characteristics of righteousness, they are a paradox. They are opposite of what the world says. Quit going to the world to get advice on how to live for God. And don't go to some preacher who sounds like the rest of the world to get it either. Well, where do I get it? I know 66 books of this Bible will give you all the advice that you need. 66 books of this Bible is the truth of the word of God that you can stand on. I don't care what CNN says, Fox News, Epic Times, it don't, none of, none of, none of it, none of it is truth uh, uh, emphatically or astoundingly or steadfastly. All of it is mixed with human opinion. And if so, then all of it is subject to be wrong. Um, each are uh, productive. And so this first, and I'm not going to even get to it again. Well, let me do the best I can poor in spirit. Now, if you're here tonight lost, you can live 10,000 lives and you'll never be able to fit this into your life. It don't work. If you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you can try to be poor in spirit all you want. It won't ever fit into your life. If you're here tonight saved, this is instruction to you that this is what Jesus wants in your life. Poor in spirit. The word poor First of all, well, the word blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The word blessed is happy, blissful, fortunate, well off, supremely blessed. Blessed are the what? The poor in spirit. Now, I told you it was a paradox because the world would say, blessed are the rich. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Is that not right? And God gave his church a little secret and said, I want y'all to know something. The crowd who thinks that they got it all is not the crowd who does, but I've got a little crowd over here that is poor in spirit. and They're blessed beyond measure, and theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, so what is that poor in spirit then? Uh, well, the word poor, uh, there's two uses uh, in the New Testament. The word poor. Uh, one word, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it, don't even care to, but one word uh, uh, is, 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 might would be considered like some of us. If, if somebody said, are you rich? No. Are you middle class? What's that? Are you poor? Yeah, that's my crowd. But not too poor because we got something. That's one of the words for poor. Um, the, 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 the woman who brought her two mites to the Lord was described with that word poor. Um, 
And she was poor, but she had two mites to bring to the Lord. She had something. And all of us tonight ought to stand flat-footed and shout all the way to the house that I may not have a whole lot, but I got something. Poor. That's not the word used. Brother Mike, the word that is used in the text uh, is another word, and I'm not going to try to pronounce it either, but it is another uh, Greek word, and it is a beggar. It describes a man who has nothing. It describes a man who is empty at all uh, of all. Uh, it describes Lazarus in Luke chapter number 16 that he sat uh, uh, and begged. Lazarus was poor uh, and he died and went to heaven. He was poor. He had nothing. And here's what I found out. Uh, about that word poor, uh, it means to shrink. It means to crouch. It means to hide oneself or be ashamed. It, it, it has the idea of, of sitting uh, uh, at the gate somewhere and covering your face because you are ashamed to look upon uh, the ones you're begging of. You, you need something, uh, but you're ashamed to ask for it. You, you don't have anything at all, and if you get any help, it's going to be because someone gave that to you. And that is the word that the Holy Ghost uses to describe, that Jesus uses to describe what God's people are supposed to be like. Now, how in the world is that? You mean I'm supposed to be ashamed? Bow my head, cover my head. I'm supposed to beg. He's not talking about material gain. He's not talking about materialistic things. He's not, and the Holy Ghost uses the word poor in spirit. People have taken Luke's account where he says, blessed are the poor, and they've taken that and they said, see, if, if you want to live for God, you need to be poor. That's not... I read behind one man who said this, anytime in the scripture, good hermeneutics, which is the explanation of the scripture, anytime in the scripture where, 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 where there are more than one passage about the same event and, and one is in more detail than the other, uh, 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 always go with, a, not that they contradict, but some give more detail than the other. And if you're going to get the meaning of the text, study the one that gives the most detail and know that the rest of them are just backing up the one that gives the most detail. And Luke's gospel says, blessed are the poor, but Matthew's gospel says, blessed are the poor in spirit. There's been people across this world uh, have sold everything they have just so they can please God. They've gone off into bankrupt economies uh, personally just so they can please God. If God comes by and says, get rid of everything you've got, get rid of everything you've got. Do what God says. Obey God. It's better to obey God uh, than to obey your flesh. But God's not requiring poverty to have Christian character. If he did, then Matthew 5, 42, Jesus contradicts himself because he says, give to him that asketh of thee. How am I supposed to give to somebody when I ain't got nothing to give? God's not upset about you having stuff. And what is poor in spirit? I'm nearly done. It is just what it says. What is your spirit? It is your inner man. It is your inner being. It's who you are on the inside. It's not who you're showing yourself on the outside to be. A lot of folks show themselves as poor in spirit. Head hung low and woe is me. And, and, and uh, brother, I just want to be, I don't want to be seen. And, and listen, people who don't want to be seen try not to be seen. People who have to tell everybody all the time they don't want to be seen probably wants to be seen. 
I might run that one by you again. People who don't want to be seen, you don't see them. <laughs> they do stuff where you don't see them. They don't want to be seen. People who do want to be seen, but say, I don't want to be seen. Then, then don't be seen. Quit telling me this. Huh? Somebody put $200, I don't know which one of you it was, but I appreciate it, in an envelope for my put it on his base. Never said a word to us about who it was, didn't sign their name to it. Don't, I don't know who it is. Thank you if you're here tonight. Thank you. Don't know who you are. Gave $200 for his missions trip, and obviously they didn't want to be seen. Because they didn't tell him, they didn't tell me, they didn't tell his mama. We don't know who's one of y'all or somebody who was here Sunday, but they didn't want to be seen, and they did that. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with you walking up and saying, here, brother, I want to give you this. There ain't nothing wrong with that. But, but, but they didn't want to be seen. That's opposite of putting on a falsity or a show and saying, no, I don't want to be seen as we're looking at everybody. Now don't tell nobody as we're talking. Where you got this from? Hey, sometimes God make me do something secret. Sometimes I'll walk right up to somebody and say, praise God, God want me to give you this. As I hit Anthony on the shoulder. Pour in spirit. That is, the, it's not a false front. It's not a put on. It's not a show. It is the inner person. Now, let's take that word poor again. You remember? It is a beggar. It is somebody with nothing. It is somebody who has nothing. It is somebody who can do nothing. It is someone shamefully covering their self and saying, would you please help me? God said, I want you. If you're gonna please me on the inside of who you are, I want you to look to me as if you have nothing and can do nothing and have never been able to do anything as a beggar come to me for mercy poor in spirit that's a paradox because we want everybody to know how religious we are I said I was about done preaching and I was man I was about done I promise I was I'm getting close now. Are y'all still okay? I said we had to build that foundation to get here. Well, now we're here. Let's not shut it down yet. It took me hard. It, took, it was hard enough to get the foundation laid. Poor in spirit. Jesus said, blessed. It's a paradox. The world says, blessed are the rich. Theirs is the kingdom. Everywhere you look, here's what we see. Self-empowerment. Can you imagine how many books tonight are out on the shelves at Amazon and books a million all over the world? Self-empowerment. How to make one's life the best life. Living my best life. And how many preachers across this world, how to live your best life. Make every day Friday. I want to be my best. I don't think you ought to be the best that you can be, but Self-empowerment, self-enrichment, self-betterment, self-indulgence, self-help. We try to please ourselves, promote ourselves, protect ourselves. We want the best life, but Jesus offers the blessed life. It begins with poor in spirit. We've seen the paradox of this. It's opposite. 
I want you to notice for a minute tonight the progression of this. Poor in spirit is the entry level to living for God. It's the entry level to the kingdom of God. It's the entry level, I would say to you tonight, to salvation. Blessed are the poor in spirit. This is how you get saved. God, I'm a beggar. Let me find me something to cover my face with and a seat to sit down. Y'all don't lose me now. Hope it didn't scratch the floor. God, I'm a beggar. I'm ashamed to even look at you. I've been so wrong. Oh, are you hearing me tonight? Poor in spirit's how you get saved. God, there ain't nothing I've ever done that could merit your love. God, I've gone to church. I've played religion. I got 10 Bibles. God, I've taught other people how to be saved. God, I've, that might be what religion would say. God, I've, I've, I've memorized scripture. God, I've put on. God, I've got my dress clothes in the closet. God, but I'm a beggar. I'm ashamed at who I am. God, I'm ashamed to even look your way. I'm poor in spirit. That's how you get saved. If you've never come to the end of your road, if you've never knelt before God and said, God, I can't save myself. God, I'm wretched and vile as can be. Apart from the grace of God, you've never been born again. Poor in spirit's how you get saved. Poor in spirit's how you get spirit filled. When God saved you, he gave you the spirit of God. Romans, or Paul said in 1 Corinthians, for by one spirit we all baptize into one body. But then he commands us to be filled with the spirit. And if it's a command to be filled with the spirit, that means you can live your life without being filled with the spirit. And how you're not filled with the spirit is you're filled with self. Self-help, self-indulgence, self-pleasure, self-pride, self-life. But when you're a saved man, now we're talking about some instruction. God, I've been saved a long time and I'm full of me. God, I've been saved too long to be living like this. It's my way or the highway and that's the way it's been. God, don't look at me. I'm a beggar. God, don't look at me. I'm nobody. Oh my, I'm preaching to us tonight if we'll hear it. God, I can't, I can't live for you. I don't know how, I can't do it. I can't be the husband or the preacher or the wife or the mother or the father or the child, the young person that I'm supposed to be. God, more like you, less like me. Empty me of me and fill me with your spirit. That's poor in spirit. Opposite of the Pharisee and the publican, the Pharisee said, Lord, I thank thee that I'm not like this publican. I tithe and I come to church and I do all of these things. And he, and he straightened his collar and he stiffened his neck and he said, Hallelujah, thank God I'm better. The poor old publican bowed his head, covered his face, smote his breast, the Bible said. And said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I want to ask you tonight, which one is poor in spirit? Which one is what God said that ought to be that of the child of God? 
Not me. Not me, Lord. That's how you get saved. That's how you get spirit-filled. That's how you serve. That's how you serve. Let me say this as a warning to Crossroads Baptist Church tonight. We'll never go anywhere or get anywhere or be anything glorifying to God as long as people are trying to run the show, as long as people are trying to get the glory, as long as people are trying to get the promotion and be the man, be the preacher, be the person, be the leader, be the, uh, be the exceptional one. What we need tonight is a bunch of folks who come to the house of God, who kneel down before God when we get in here and say, God, I'm nobody, and God, I need your help and accept you help me I'm in trouble I can't even walk without you holding my hand poor in spirit the progression this is the entry level Moses said God met him at that burning bush said Moses I want you to go tell Pharaoh Moses said what I can't I can't he told God why he couldn't. Most of us tell God why we ought to. Most of us are telling God and other people why we should have. I'm telling you I'm trying to quit, but the Holy Ghost got me preaching for us, to us for a little bit tonight. Most of us spend all of our time telling God why we ought to be the one and telling other people why we ought to be the one. We get in the car and tell our spouse why we should have been the one. Moses said, God, I can't. And he said, God, this is why I can't. I can't even talk. Moses said, most say, why can't I? Moses said, why I can't. Moses was poor in spirit. I can't. There was a time he thought he could, and he went and grabbed a man by the throat and killed him. God put him over in the desert for 40 years, and on the backside of that desert for 40 years after having run, to escape for his life and lived in that desert for 40 years, he quit going, why can't I? Why can't I? To, God, this is why I can't. Oh, that's where we need to, God, would you help me go from why can't I to why I can't? I can't. I shouldn't. I don't know how. I'm a beggar. I'm a bandit. God, I can't come into your presence. I've robbed you of your glory. I'm not only a beggar, I'm a bandit. There ought to be a warrant out for me. I'm a baby. A baby can't even walk without someone helping it. God, I'm so dependent on you, I'm a baby. I'm bankrupt. I'm broken. I'm broken. I can't fix nobody. I can't fix me. I'm broken. More like you, less like me. And God will say, boy, you're, you sure are sounding right. We've got some blessings for you. Consider the paradox. Consider the progression. Consider, lastly, and I am done, the product. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He said it is. He didn't say it will be. 
This is not a prerequisite for salvation. He said, if you'll do this, you'll get it. He said, if you do this, you got it. And the only reason you can do this is because you got it. The only reason you can say, God, I'm broken. God, I can't. If a sinner ever does that, the moment he does it, he gets saved. If a saved man ever does it, he's showing that he's been saved. God said, I got a kingdom for you where I'm on the throne. In your heart tonight, there's a throne and there's a cross. Stenet Ballou used to say this. In every man's heart, there's a throne and a cross. He said, if you're on the throne, Jesus is still on the cross. He said, but if Jesus is on the throne, then you're on the cross. I'm crucified with Christ, Paul said. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Tonight, if I'm on the throne, Jesus is still on the cross. My heart, crucified, fresh and anew. But if I'll come down off that cross, or I'll come down off of that throne, Climb over that cross. Lord, don't look at me. I'm ashamed. I can't do this. I can't run my life. I don't know how. Lord, I need you. Oh, I'm like a, a baby that needs you. Jesus will come down off the cross. And he'll go get on the throne. And you'll go get on the cross. And you'll live in the blessedness of God where he's in control. <laughs> he's in charge. You don't have to worry. It's his life. He'll send you where he wants. He'll do what he wants. I have no power. Lord, I need yours. Come to the piano. God, I have no payment. Lord, I'll just trust yours is sufficient. Lord, I have no position. I'm just going to rest in yours. Lord, I have no prestige. So I'm just going to brag on you. God, I think I'm done bragging on me. I never have been that good anyhow. God, I think I'm going to quit getting in the car and telling folks why the boss should have done me better or why the church members should have treated me better or why the Sunday school teachers should have been more kind. There ain't nothing good in me anyhow. <laughs> what an indictment. What an instruction. If we'll but hear it tonight. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Lord, thank you this evening. Now touch this invitation in Christ's name.